welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. a brand new series called I Am a Missionary. And to start this series, I wanted to share with you a story of two missionaries. RB, I forgot to tell you, but I've got a picture coming up here. This is Johann Dober and David Nietzsche coming up here. Nietzscheman coming up here. These two gentlemen from the early 1700s had it on their heart to be missionaries to the West Indies, the modern day Caribbean, to go uh, be missionaries to the slaves that were being took there to work upon the plantations. Now at this time, in order to be a missionary, you didn't just talk to your church and get funding and leave. You had to have permission from the government. You had to have permission from a larger church structure than what we have. And so they began to seek funding and permission. But they had a problem. Number one, or they had three problems actually. Number one, when they went before this judge to get permission to go be missionaries to the slaves, number one, they said, well, the problem with this is how are you going to contact the slaves? These plantation owners don't let people just walk in and waltz around the plantation talking to the slaves, so you're going to have trouble finding contact with them. How, how are you going to get to them and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with these people? Uh, secondly, they're going to be very busy. How are you going to fit into this time? How are you going to have an evangelism service or something like this, these slaves that work seven days a week? And, and third, how are you going to make a living in the West Indies? What, what are you going to do to provide for yourselves? The two thought for a second, and then David Nitschman said this. He said, we will sell ourselves into slavery. Now let's just pause for a second and, and think about what he just said. He, he said in order to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ that he would be willing to become a slave so that he would have access to slaves. That's commitment to Christ. Slavery is not something you sell yourself into for just a few days. It's something that he was making a lifelong commitment to meet these people. And as we look at this and we talk about the stories of, of missionaries, a lot of times we look at those glamorous stories of missionaries. We looked a couple weeks ago at Nate Saint, Nate Saint who flew a plane into the, into the bush of Ecuador to reach an, a lost tribe. We've talked before about Hudson Taylor who built a, a missionary network in China. We, we've talked about missionaries who were captured during World War II and they, they all seem to have this glamorous story where when we think about mission work, we think about going to some faraway place with a huge risk and some great work with a great reward. But according to, to David and Johan, the, the, the mission field is not going off to somewhere. The mission field is not some glamorous story. The mission field is, is finding a way to be accessible to people and share Jesus with those people. And for them, if it meant becoming a slave to reach slaves, they were willing to do that. Now, often when we think about being a missionary, we think about a mission field is some faraway place in which we can go and, and share the gospel. But, but the truth is, is a mission field is where you have access to people. And as we look at ourselves as a church today and look at us in this new series, I want us to commit to our calling as missionaries. Very few of us, if any of us, are ever going to go off to a foreign country and dedicate our lives to finding people in the middle of jungles and sharing Christ with them. But we all have access to people that we can share the gospel with, the people that we work beside, the people that we meet on the road. We can be missionaries in the community that we're in. And, and to define our mission field, it might be that our mission field is our workplace or our family reunions. It might be that, that girls weekend trip that we go on. Our, our mission field might be our couch. No matter where you are, you are on mission. 
you got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 through 11. Of course, this is written by Paul. Paul is um, a missionary like we would think of the old style missionary. He, he travels to different cities, he spreads the gospel, and he plants church. But, but Paul was also what I call an everyday missionary. Paul, Paul in, earlier in Corinthians, he writes that he had the right to ask for uh, money from the church because he was working for the church. He had the, had the right to ask for a salary to be taken care of by the church. But he said, I give up that right to work. I give up the right to work and keep my job going. And as a traveling missionary and an everyday missionary, Paul made his money as a tent maker. The, the, the most simple of, of um, jobs that he could have. And yet he used it as his everyday mission field. If you've read much of Acts, you've heard the names Priscilla and Aquila. These two people Paul met were also tent makers, and he led them to Christ by working beside them. And so what we find from the Bible is that our day-to-day -day mission field is where our feet are. Wherever you are in your life, that is your mission field. And for some of us that may be work, but some of us it may be even within our families. Our mission field may be our living room or our couch or our kitchen. And we're going to look at the scripture today that teaches us about being missionaries within our families. If you've got your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. Read, read this with me. And unto the married I command ye not, I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. Now, I know what you're thinking before I lose you, Brian. That sounds a lot like marriage talk, not like mission talk. Well, stick with me just a second. I promise you that we're going to bring this back together to something. But remember, our mission field isn't a place. Our mission field is people. And so when we talk about our mission to people, we talk about the mission to the people that we have relationships. And in this context, we'll talk about marriage. Now, in order to understand why this is important and how this gets us to our modern day marriage, our modern day mission field, we need to understand the context of what we're looking at here. The context of this is Paul is writing this to Corinth. Anytime you hear the name Corinth, the city Corinth, I want you to think Las Vegas, but worse. Las Vegas, but worse. This was a society filled with sexuality. As a matter of fact, throughout the Roman Empire, to call somebody a Corinthian woman was, well, you get the point with that. This was a place where there was free sexuality. There was prostitution of every type. There was no commitment in marriage to sexuality. Friday nights were for finding sexual partners. It was just a horrible life. And you contrast that with the life of a believer who, who, who flees from all those things. And you understand that as Paul is pulling people, as this church is pulling people out of the Corinth society, one of the major points of teaching within this, this church in Corinth will be over the issue of sexuality because it is so foreign to them to think of sexuality sexuality in a Christian way. And so Paul has spent so much time training them in this way that they come back to Paul and go, okay, so we finally get what you're saying, Paul. What you're saying is no man should ever touch a woman for any reason. And Paul says earlier in this chapter, he says, no, no, that's not what I said. Within the context of marriage, that's okay. And, and if you don't allow yourself within that in marriage, you're going to create some temptation problems within your society. So, so the next question is, is okay, well, if sexuality is so bad, but sexuality is okay within marriage, the question was, should we then leave our marriages in order to serve God better? Now, I love the heart of the Corinthians. They are sold out. Anybody who comes to Paul and says, look, we, we should never, ever touch a woman ever again. Or, or I should leave my marriage for the sake of the gospel. And that's, that's their mindset, even though they're misled. I love where they're at. 
But Paul begins to address marriage. And the major point of this scripture right here is that God can be served in our marriages. So our first take home truth is my mission is to glorify God to the world through my marriage. Now, as we read this scripture, and we're going to continue on here in a little bit, but these particular two verses, these are written specifically when both partners are Christian. And I'll explain to you how I know that here in just a second. And so he gives this command, stay within your marriages, and in that marriage you will glorify God. And if you are to separate from that marriage, there, there are two options within this. Option number one is to remain single. If you're within a marriage and the marriage isn't working out, you may separate and you may remain single, being married yet separated. And I know that sounds horrible. Like what, what a horrible thing God would ever ask of us that if we exit a marriage that we would remain single. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. I don't have time to dive into it. The other option, he says, or be reconciled with your spouse. And so what the instruction here tells us is that we can live as separated, but once we've been married, we can never leave, uh, live as single. Now, in American culture, that puts a stop to a lot of our talk of, of ending our marriages. Because as we look at ending our marriages, what we, what we often find is, I'm going to end my marriage so that I can be single and I can start over and I can find something that makes me happier. But according to God's Word, that's, that's not how He expects us to live. You live married or you live separated, but you never live as single again. And it tells us about how seriously God takes marriage, that he would give us those two options, live as a couple of for life or live as married yet separate for life, with two exceptions of adultery or abandonment. But the change is the way we look at marriage as Christians. Because if you look at the world, marriage is, is basically around the considerations of how attractive are these people. Is this someone that I would like to be physical with? Or a marriage of convenience. We seem to get along together. They're in my area. This seems to be a good marriage. Or, of course, the emotion when we become emotionally involved and fall in love. And that is all part of marriage and relationships. But each of those can and will change. Uh, attractiveness changes. I don't know if you guys know this, but gravity is after all of us. It's coming for us. Convenience changes. A marriage that may be convenient at the beginning of it will change very quickly. So I have learned when you have a child, it is no longer convenient to be married. Emotions change and grow stronger and weaker throughout different times. And so as Christians, we take those things into effect, but we put two more things with them. These spiritual considerations that are bigger and more important within our marriages is can our lives be joined together forever? Not, does this convenient for now, or are they attractive now? Is can my life be joined to this person when gravity has got a hold of both of us? When, when the convenience of the relationship is rough and when the emotion just isn't there, can we continue to do this? And secondly, can we live in our, in our marriage as a mission to glorify God? In that, we find happiness. Now, before we continue, I just I want to... I want to take a step back because I know this is a hard passage for some of us in here. And I know that, that bringing this passage up rips open some scars. And as I prepared this, I, I want you all to know I wrestled with that. God, how do we remain legitimate as a church to your word? And how do we teach what your says? But how do we honor and comfort those scars of people that are here? And I spent a lot of time praying over this. God, how do I address this topic? Because I felt led here for this reason. How do I address this topic? God, but comfort those scars. And then I read it again. And what I saw was what was here. But the second time I read it and I studied through it, what I saw is, is what is not here. 
I think sometimes we need to take a step back and we need to ask ourselves, what is not written in the Scripture at this exact place? Because what we do a lot of times when we don't like Scripture, when it, when it rips open those scars, when we have to wrestle with a tough passage, is we've added something that we've read into it that's not there. And what I found is not in this Scripture is there is no condemnation. You notice Paul writes this, and he's writing in the sense of present and future, but he's not writing in the sense of the past. Paul doesn't even address the past. He doesn't go off on a tree and say, if this happened to you in the past and tell you about X, Y, Z, he's talking about the present and the future. It's almost like it didn't cross his mind that this might affect people that have, that have been through divorce in the past. It's almost, it's almost like it was forgotten about. It's almost like for a Christian that our past actions are forgotten and forgiven. Paul writes in another place, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Our next take-home truth, and I want you to write this on your paper, but more importantly, I want you to write this on your heart. I am not condemned for my past. I'm going to say that again. I am not condemned for my past. And if you're here this morning and you're feel shame, feeling some shame or some hurt or a scar is being ripped over, open by the Scripture, what I want you to know is that there is no shame if there is no condemnation. And so if we can write it on our heart that I am not condemned for my past, there is no shame for our past. See, this passage is not here to condemn you or shame you for what has happened in the past. This passage is here for the present and future instruction. And oftentimes, this is what I think wasn't here. Oftentimes in the scripture, we read it and we read shame that's not there. We read condemnation that is not there. And I just want you to know that, that here at Ramsey Heights, you will never hear me purposely, never hear me purposely try to shame you from here. Because I don't believe that God's word teaches shame. Because shame is based on a lie that my value is tarnished by what I have or haven't done. And that is the exact opposite of the gospel. The gospel does not say that your value is tarnished by what you have or haven't done. The gospel says that your value cannot be tarnished no matter what you have or have not done. And so we've got to let the voice of Jesus be louder than the voice of Satan here when it says that you are loved and you are valued and you are covered by God's grace and you are not to read shame into the scripture where it is not. There's a story in the New Testament. It's probably my favorite story in all of the New Testament. Jesus is teaching. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are trying to trap Jesus, they find this lady who was caught in the act of adultery, the act of cheating on her husband or being physically involved with a man who was married. And they drag her and they throw her down in front of Jesus, probably not wearing clothes, ashamed as this crowd sees all of her sin, thrown before this great teacher, this, this man who claims to be God, who does miracles. And, and they question Jesus, what are we going to do with this woman? You know what she did. You know the rules. And, and this is Jesus' famous line, let you who are without sin cast the first stones at this woman. But my favorite part of the stories is after they're gone, the, the, the woman just covered in shame, covered in hurt and covered in guilt, she just lays on the ground as everybody walks away. And Jesus, almost, almost like he didn't even notice that she was still there, he looks down and he says, Ma'am, where are the people who are condemning you? And she looks around and says, they're, they're all gone. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. And then he gives her present and future instruction. He said, now go forth and sin no more. 
That is the Jesus that we worship and serve here, not a Jesus that condemns us for everything that we've done in our life. Maybe we didn't know better, or maybe we made a mistake, but that is the message to us. And the point of this scripture is not to weight us down by shame. The point of scripture is always to liberate us by the grace of God. So what does all this have to do with being a missionary? What's the perspective of this when it comes to marriage and godly marriage and long marriage? In the Roman world, one of the biggest draws to Christianity, one of the biggest draws to Christianity was Christian marriage. For the majority of the Roman world, you could be executed for claiming Christ. You could be killed for going to church. And yet people kept coming to Christianity and, and, and asking to get in. How do, I, how do I become a Christian? How do I know this Jesus that you know? And one of the biggest draws historians tell us was the biblical view of marriage and sexuality. Today, we've become embarrassed of our views of marriage and sexuality. We're scared to say it to the world. We're scared to say that, that sexuality is reserved for marriage. We're scared to say that sexuality is reserved for men and women We're together. You guys know what I'm saying. We're scared to say that because we're scared we're going to push people away with that. But the truth is, is in the darkest times of Christianity, people were drawn to this because they saw something that they didn't have. They saw that in Christian marriages and Christian families that when children were born, they were celebrated and loved and not sold into slavery or aborted because they weren't wanted. They, they saw in Christian marriage that, that women were more than sexual objects, that they were cherished and taken care of by their husbands. And so the message we have within this with marriage is Christian couple, couples, we are spreading the gospel with our marriages. We get to go to the world and say, God gave us a better way to live. And then that gives us the ability to say, God gave us a better way to die with how we handle our marriages. Our marriage is part of our mission to the world. Let's continue reading if you've still got your Bibles open. Verses 12 through 15. But to the rest, this is Paul speaking, but to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath the wife that dwelleth, or I'm sorry, that believeth not, and she be not pleased, let me start over. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are holy. If it, if it, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. So the first two scriptures, this is how we know, it points to Christians who are married to each other. The second part that Paul addresses here when it comes to marriage is to Christians who are married to an unbeliever. After Paul's lessons on marriage and on sexuality, they say, okay, so if marriage is such a big deal for two Christians to be married and to glorify God in their marriages, does that mean that if I'm married to an unbeliever that I cannot glorify God in the same way so I need out of my marriage? And Paul says, no, no, you missed it again. Don't, don't leave a spouse that's an unbeliever. Stay with them because it brings a mission. Our next take-home truth is, my mission is to glorify God before my unbelieving spouse. So two Christians in a marriage, we have a reason that we glorify Christ in our marriage. One Christian in a marriage with uh, an unbeliever, we glorify Christ to our spouse. Now, as it talks about this, there's a question about this marriage. And Paul goes on and he says, the wife is sanctified by the husband and the husband is sanctified by the wife. 
the believing spouse is sanctified. I'm sorry, the unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the believing spouse. Now, this causes some confusion because for Christians, when we hear the word sanctified, we think salvation. We, we, we think what it means to be part of Christ. The word sanctified literally means to purify. And we get this confused because many of us have heard this word as part of the process that we go through in becoming a Christian or after becoming a Christian. When we first give our life to Christ, when, when we profess Christ for the first time, when we make a commitment to follow Him, we call that justified. It's where we stand before Christ without sin, without shame. This is where we stand before Christ without that condemnation. But that's not the end. A lot of us think that if we can get somebody justified, if we can get them to profess Christ, if we can get them baptized and to be a member of a church, that, that the, the, the journey is over, but that's just the beginning. At that moment, we begin to go through a process of purification, a process where we're sanctified, where God changes us and grows us and moves in us, and it makes us a new creation every day than we were in the past. And when we die, we will be glorified. And so when we hear sanctified in the Scripture, somebody in here... And I know it because I ask it once. Somebody asked the question of this. Does this mean that if I'm a Christian and my spouse is not, that our marriage saves them? Now listen, I love you guys. And I think you're pretty awesome, but you are not about to save a spouse or anybody else. That, that job is reserved for Jesus Christ. We do not have the ability to save somebody by being with them. Now what the word sanctified means in this context, it means that that marriage is set apart. Imagine this as a way of witnessing to people is that an unbeliever spends the most time that they spend with any human being with a spirit-filled believer whose one goal is to move their spouse to Christ. When, when the Bible speaks of being sanctified, it means that relationship is set apart. It is still holy before God, but it is set apart for the purpose, <clears throat> for the purpose of bringing that person to Christ. Listen to what First Peter says, or what Peter says in First Peter. He addresses this. It's addressed a couple of places, but listen to what he says. Speaking to women, he says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, that also <clears throat> they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversion coupled with fear. And then he goes on to tell women how to do that. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. It's like, goodness, why did I come to church? This is a who's who of my least favorite verses at Ramsey Heights this morning. Stick with me just a second. This context is written to women who are married to unbelievers. And at the time this was written, that was probably the more likely case because Christianity appealed to women more so than men because they saw a difference in the way wives were treated within the church than the way wives were treated within the world. So most likely, the biggest thing that Peter wrote to was women who had become saved, who had been converted, but had not been able to get their husbands yet. So he writes to them, you have a mission. Live as Christ-filled as you can. Let your husband see your conversion. Let him see what is going on in you. But, but does that mean that that same concept doesn't apply to men? See, the context of these two verses is written to women. But the concept applies to all spouses, men or women. An example from another place, another place that Paul writes in Romans, he writes this. He says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. How many of us would read that and go, okay, I've got to get along with the men, but I don't have to get along with all the women. 
Like, like Paul was writing this, and he wrote, live peaceably with all men and women. And then he's in a fight with his wife, so it's like, it's impossible to live peaceably with a woman. We'll just X that out. That, that's not what he said. He said, live peaceably with all men. And by the way, ladies, that means live peaceably with your husband, even when he does the thing where he throws the laundry right next to the laundry basket, not in the laundry basket. Like, that's still, don't nod your head at me, Jessica. That, that still means live peaceably with them. But we understand that in that context to be written to say men. But we understand the concept of it. It means get along with everybody. Live peaceably with all of humankind. It doesn't have to say men or women for us to understand the concept. And the concept of being married to an unbelieving spouse is the same thing. It is that we can glorify God to our spouse in the way, in the way that we live day to day, in the way that we serve them day to day. And so as we go through this series, and we'll continue to look at different ways that we might be a missionary, but as you look at your mission field, some of us in here, your mission field may be your living room. It may be your couch and your back porch. It may, it may be your bedroom. It may be your bathroom. It may be wherever you are. Your mission field is where your feet are. And when we talk about this, I think a lot of times what we think we must do is, is we must force somebody we love to come to Christ. We must tell them about Christ and tell them, you must accept this now. A husband may want his wife. He's like, look, we're going to go to church together. You're going to go with me. You have to. And that's not what the scripture's talking about. It may be a wife who wants to tell her, her husband that you have to live morally as a Christian, even though you've not made that decision. That's not what it means to live as a missionary in your own house. It means to pursue your faith with everything. Live in a way that your spouse looks at you and says, I want what they have. I, I, I want what they get. I want the hope that I don't have that they have. I want the comfort that they have that I don't. I want to be loved the way that they love. And, and they want Christ because of that. I'm familiar with a story of a woman who, a very faithful Christian, um, loved the Lord, was a servant in every way, but her husband was not a believer. And every time, every time that she brought the story up, he, he would give some vague reference to some time he went to church when he was a kid and just assume that was enough. And then he would shut the conversation down. We're not talking about this anymore. And for years and years and years, she lived with this husband, this unbelieving husband, praying for him, doing everything she could to bring him to Christ. But knowing I can't have the open conversation about Christ with him, he shuts it down when we talk about salvation. As they got older, he had an accident that caused him some severe medical problems for several months. And, and in that, in that, she served him with all of her heart. I, I had the ideal he wasn't an easy person to live with. But, but she served him, and she loved him, and she cared for him. And, and after that moment, I'm not going to say that he did or didn't change his life, but a man who would never darken the door of a church now never misses church. That man told me one time, he said, I've got a good wife. I can't believe she would stay with me and care for me during that time. And I got the impression that in his mind, he thought, I wouldn't have done that for her, but she did it for me. Why is it she loved me that way? And he came to a conclusion that it had something to do with her relationship with Christ. See, loving people to Christ is not about, for, not about forcing them to come to Christ. It is about forgiving and serving them the way that Christ served us. A way that says Christ is real in me and Christ is real to me. And you are going to want what I have. They're not my stories to tell, but several of the deacons of this church were brought to Christ because they loved godly women. 
and now they serve and they love God and they love this church. Now, I want to be careful because some of us may get carried away with this. Like, I can be a missionary all day long. I remember when I was a teenager, went to school with, or with a girl, and that was her mission field. I'm going to date all the unbelieving boys, and I'm going to bring them to Christ. And then I'm going to break up with them and go find another one. That was her plan. She, she, she justified her relationship. She said, well, what I'm hoping is that, that I'm going to bring them to Christ. And I think many of us might think that way as well. And we're thinking, boy, I'd sure like to date that person. That's my mission field. I'll date them. I'm dating that person. I'd like to marry them. That's my mission field. So, I, so I'll, uh, I'll go for it. Second Corinthians, though, Paul addresses this in, in a verse where he says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And what those words unequally yoked means, I wish I had one. I saw one in a flea market one time. It cost $250, and I love y'all, but I don't love y'all that much, so I didn't buy it. But it's a big wooden thing that you put on two oxen, and, and you bond them together. And this verse applies to a lot of things. It applies to marriage, being unequally yoked, a believer with an unbeliever. It applies to business relationships, going into business with someone who doesn't have the same morals and values that you do. It applies to friendships. But in this context, marriage, it says, don't be unequally yoked. And what that means is, what if somebody had two oxen? One of them was old and strong and bullish, and they yoked it with a younger, more immature, weaker ox. Anybody who has dealt with animals knows that's not going to be a good combination. See, what you're going to have is, is the stronger ox is going to pull more of the weight, and the weaker ox is going to be dragged around by the yoke. And eventually they're going to end up going in circles. And there will be this huge amount of frustration between the team because the weaker one is going to feel like they're being drug around and the stronger one's going to feel like the other one's not pulling their weight. And what the Bible says is don't step into that within marriage. Don't step into that within your dating life or as you pursue spouses. This, this mission field that we have is directed at people who were unsaved or maybe they were baby Christians when they got saved and they didn't know to look for a godly person to marry. And now that they have grown in their faith with Christ and their spouse has not, that's who this particular scripture is aimed at. So your mission field, if you're in a different situation, may be to show somebody obedience to Christ by walking away to them, from them. And saying, I love my God more than I love you. And I love his commands more than I love you. And you show them obedience in that instead of marrying them and hoping that they'll be saved. The reason for that is we enter marriage with a mutual acceptance. When I went to my wife and asked her to marry me, I, I said, I want to marry you. I don't want to marry the person that I hope you may one day be. I want to marry you. And when she said yes, she said, yes, I want to marry you, not the person I hope you will one day be. I want to marry you. And so we go into marriage with this mutual acceptance of who we are. And if we go into marriage with an unbeliever, what it says is, I'm a Christian. And our spouse says, okay, I'm okay with that. But we also say to our future spouse, you're not a Christian and I'm okay with that. And so we communicate that I'm okay with you living your life this way forever when we enter a marriage with an unbeliever first. That's a hurdle put into the marriage of the mission that we may want, as we've already told them, we accept you the way that you are. We accept you without you coming to Christ. And it may be for us to show Jesus by following him. Ultimately, in all of this, when it comes to our marriages and our relationships, what it comes down to, whether it's Christian marriage or if we have an unbelieving spouse or if we find ourselves speak single, being a modern day missionary where your feet are really comes down to glorifying God in my current circumstances. 
Can we be satisfied with whatever situation we're in to glorify and serve God just like I am now? Our last take-home truth is, I am a missionary. As we go out this week, I hope that we all take that calling very seriously because each of us have accepted that call as a missionary. Because God had this, this awesome plan that he would look down on a world of people drowning in sin and he would send Jesus Christ down to come save us. And Jesus Christ, as he prepared to do his work on the cross, he gathered to himself 12 men and he prepared them to be the rescue party that would take the story of the gospel. And his plan was that these men would take this to more people and they would train them. And those people would be trained as missionaries and they would go out into their world wherever their feet are and they would take that message to people. And then those people would become saved and they would take that message and it would be passed down throughout the generations, this rescue plan of Jesus Christ. And you and I, we don't exist for the purpose of coming to church. We don't exist for the purpose of reading the Bible. We exist for the purpose of being a part of that lineage of missionaries that takes the gospel to the world wherever our feet are.